is Katie Tangen with Ag Country Farm Credit Services. We wanted to put together a podcast to discuss the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program or the CFAP payments that were announced by USDA really back in mid-April, although they did not come out with the rules until close to the end of the May. They have finally opened up the application process on the program as of May 26th, and those applications can be filled out on the www.farmers.gov slash CFAP website. So backing up a little bit, uh, this Coronavirus Food Assistance Program was passed as part of the CARES Act in mid-April 2020. It draws funding from a couple different sources. The first one is the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, and then it also draws funding from some existing USDA programs, primarily CCC. Total money set aside to provide support to producers through the coronavirus epidemic is that is $19 billion. $16 billion of that is budgeted for direct payments to producers. $3 billion is set aside for a Farmers to Families food box program that has already been rolled out. The intent of the CFAP program is to buffer price loss on 2019 production. So there is no compensation on 2020 production at this time, and you're going to have to keep that in mind as you go through the application process. So how did USDI decide who is eligible for a payment and who's not in terms of commodities covered? Well, what they did is they looked at commodities that experienced a 5% or greater drop in futures value, cash value if there's no futures market, between January 15th and April 15th. The other thing they looked at, which came into play more so on the specialty crops, is commodities that saw market supply chain disruptions and faced significant market costs, particularly if it's a fresh vegetable, uh, fruit, things like that. But the eligible commodities, once they got it narrowed down, they split them into five groups. And those five groups are non-specialty products, specialty, livestock, dairy, and wool. The first category we're going to discuss is the non-specialty crops. And those are going to be most primary crops, malt barley, canola, corn, cotton, millet, oats, soybeans, sorghum, sunflowers, durum, and hard red spring wheat are all listed. Now note what's not included. Feed barley is not covered. We don't quite have an answer yet on how they're going to distinguish between the feed barley and the malt barley. Um, my guess is that it has something to do with contracts that were in place in 2019, but we just don't have a real good way to answer that question right now. But do realize that feed barley is not covered. Winter wheat is not covered. Rye is not covered. Triticale, dry beans, chickpeas, sugar beets, not covered. It's not that they won't be covered, and we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the presentation. There is a small possibility they could still get a payment, but it's not looking likely at this time. So how does the producer know how many bushels they're going to get paid on? Well, there's an eligibility test, if you will. So USDA is going to ask, what was your 2019 production of that crop? 50% of it, or unpriced 2019 bushels that were in inventory on January 15th, and you get the lesser of those two. So again, eligible bushels are either what was unpriced in inventory on January 15th, or 50% to 2019 production, and the lower of those two numbers is what you have for eligibility. 
For example, if a producer had 100,000 bushels of corn in 2019, they'd already cash contracted 75,000 of it prior to January 15th, whether it was delivered or not. The lower of those two is 25,000 that was remaining in storage unpriced on January 15th. The flip side of that would be if that same producer had grown 100,000 bushels of corn in 2019 and they hadn't sold any of it. In that case, their unpriced 2019 bushels in inventory is still going to be 100,000, but the fallback here is 50% of the 2019 production. That's the lower number, so that'd be 50,000 bushels. So it's always the lesser of those two factors. We've had some questions on how to determine um, what exactly is priced, and, and that's a good question because they weren't overly specific at the beginning. They have since clarified, really, unless it's under a cash contract, you're okay. So bushels on a delayed price contract are fine. Bushels under a basis contract are fine. Bushels under an HTA contract, as long as the basis is not set, is okay. So there has to be some element of price risk here uh, for the bushels to qualify. You cannot count bushels that were held over from previous years. So if you have any bushels from 2017 or 2018, those do not count for this program. Some other questions. If a producer grew corn, but it was intended for feed, do those bushels count? And the short answer is yes. The longer answer is you had to categorize them on your acreage report in 2019 as intended for grain, and, and for most people that won't be an issue. You still have to figure out how much is eligible through the lesser of rule. So it's whatever you had on inventory in January 15th. If you had grown 25,000 bushels of corn that was intended for feed and you'd already fed 5,000 of it uh, by January 15th, 20,000 is what is eligible. So it had to be an inventory. So it's still going to be in that lesser of that everyone is subject to. The other question is what if the corn wasn't harvested on January 15th? And that is okay. They do still qualify. However, Producers need to wait to fill out the CFAP application until the corn is harvested because they have to have the correct bushel amount. So a producer can go in, they can file on their soybeans and their wheat. FSA has said that they will be able to go back later and submit their corn bushels as long as it's done by August 28th. You know, I, I think I personally might decide to finish up harvest first because there is a window there, but make sure you inquire at your office your local FSA office and see what they want you to do if you're not done harvesting. How much does each commodity get paid? If you go to the www.farmers.gov website, there is a chart there. And the first column in the chart is going to give you the, the commodity. And we'll just take soybeans, for example. And then it's going to give you one column that says a CARES Act payment and a second column that says CCC payment. And it's two different numbers there. The easiest way to figure this out is to average whatever those two numbers are. So if you go to that chart on the website, soybeans uh, CARES Act payment is 45 cents, CCC payment is 50 cents, 47 and a half cents is what you're going to get paid on, on your eligible bushels. Essentially what they're doing is providing a weighted average because some of the funding for these checks is coming from the CARES Act and some of the funding is coming from CCC and they just broke out where the funding is coming from. So what USDA does to decide 
their payment, this is the work in the background, is they're going to take your eligible bushels. So take a producer that had 50,000 bushels that were eligible of corn. They take that 50,000, they divide it by two. 25,000 bushels is going to receive the CARES Act payment, and 25,000 bushels is going to receive the CCC payment. In that case, you're still getting paid on all 50,000 bushels. It's just that the two buckets are being paid a different rate. Um, so 25,000 bushels from the CARES Act, the CARES Act payment for corn is 32 cents. That half of the payment is $8,000. The second half of the payment from CCC on 25,000 bushels is 35 cents. That would be 8,750. Total payment on the 50,000 bushels is 16,750. Your effective rate here is still 33 and a half cents. So that's why I said it's, it's easiest to just average it because that's all this is really doing. Of that $16,750 payment, 80% is dispersed immediately. You are only guaranteed 80%. That's what your check is gonna be for. The remaining 20% will be dispersed after the application window is closed on August 28th, subject to availability. And these examples are all in the PowerPoint that's on the, the website as well, so you can go back and, and go through them because I know it's hard to just listen to the, the math behind it. The second group eligible for payment is livestock. And the livestock that are eligible beef cattle, hogs, lambs, and yearling sheep. Dairy cattle themselves are not eligible under these categories. Dairy steers would be an exception because their intended purpose is for beef, but any animal that is intended for milk production is not eligible for payment. That's a separate category. What they've done with the livestock is the same thing. We have two different categories. So your eligibility, one pool is sales of livestock that were made between January 15th, 2020 and April 15th, 2020. As long as the livestock was owned on January 15th. Offspring of animals that were owned on January 15th are also eligible under this category. The other second category is high inventory of livestock by species in class between April 16th and May 14th. So what, again, one category is sales of any animals that were owned on the 15th of January 2020 but sold before April 15th of 2020. And the second category is a high inventory number between April 16th and May 14th. So once you know your two categories, they work a little bit differently than what we saw for the non-specialty. So any animal that was sold between January 15th and April 15th gets a CARES Act payment. If you go to the website, there's still those two columns. There's one for CARES Act, there's one for CCC. Animals that were sold get the CARES Act payment. Animals that were in inventory between April 16th and May 15th get the payment rate listed under the CCC column. When you look at the different categories, beef is going to be the most complicated because they have five different categories of payments. Regardless of the category, if you didn't sell any animals between January 15th and April 15th, you're going to get $33 ahead on your high inventory between April 16th and May 14th. That's a flat rate across the board. Where you get the different rates is if you had sold an animal between January 15th and April 15th. So feeder cattle in that case that were less than 600 pounds and sold get $102 a head. 
feeder cattle that were over 600 pounds and less than 1,400 pounds. Now that's where they're cut, cutting the line off between feeder cattle and fed cattle. Over 600 pounds, less than 1,400 pounds, gets $139 a head. Fed cattle over 1,400 pounds uh, get $214 a head. Now, it does say indicate that it is a specific animal. FSA, after talking to them, has further clarified that really it's just the average of the load has to be over 1,400 pounds. They don't need individual animal weights. So those animals would be paid $214 a head as long as they were sold in that time frame. Mature cattle that were meant for cull. So if you had had a open cow and she was in a lot and you were feeding her a different ration, that's what would fall under the mature cattle cull. If they were sold between January 15th and April 15th, they get $92 a head. All other cattle, which is going to be breeding bulls that were sold or heifers that were sold that were bred, things of that nature, those would receive $102 a head. Again, those are the sold categories. If, if you didn't sell any animals between January 15th and April 15th, it's a simple $33 a head. As for hogs and pigs, they have two categories there. Pigs, they're saying weigh less than 120 pounds. Hogs are anything over 120 pounds. And, and the category breakdown works the same way. So anything that was sold between January 15th and April 15th, um, pigs, so less than 120 pounds, if you had isoweens that were sold, they would get $28 a head. If you had finished hogs that were sold, so over 120 pounds, they would get $18 a head. If you didn't sell anything between those two dates, then you go back to the CCC inventory payment which would be $17 a head. And it's not that you are disqualified from one category because you took a payment in the other, but when you break down your numbers for the application, they need to know how many were sold and how many were in inventory. It's a little bit more work there for the hogs and pigs because you have that constant turnover, but you will get paid in both categories. Sheep and lambs, that one's pretty simple. All animals less than two years old get a payment. So if they were sold, they get 33. If you had them in inventory, they get $7. It's pretty straightforward. It's still only 80% of the calculated payment that's guaranteed, however. Looking at dairy. Uh, dairy is going to be paid not on the animal, but they will be paid on the milk production. So they're going to make a per hundredweight payment, and the payment has a formula. So a portion from the CARES Act, simple to just like we had for livestock, and then they're going to have a portion from CCC. But the formula for payment, they're going to take your quarter one production. Even if you had to dump the milk because the processor couldn't take it, those that production counts. So whatever your quarter one production was, you take that number times $4.71 a hundredweight. That's the first part of the payment. The second part of your payment is going to be quarter one production times a, a factor because they're really trying to compensate for some second quarter issues in the marketing chain. They won't have your second quarter production finished yet, so they're going to just use this factor as a seasonal adjustment. Quarter one production times 1.014 times 1.47. If you want a really quick way to get to it, and this isn't the way it's listed on the website, but the math will work out, is that you just take your quarter one production times $6.20 a hundred weight. Done. 
So if a producer had 15,000 hundredweights or, or 1.5 million pounds in the first quarter, you take that 15,000 hundredweights, multiply it by $6.20, total payment would be $93,008.70. You get 80% up front. So your actual check is going to be for $74,406.96. Pretty simple for the dairy there. Specialty crops, we're not going to get too far into that for the purposes of this podcast. For one thing, they have different rates on all, all different crops and different categories. But for the most part, producers in this area are not going to qualify under specialty crops. There may be a few here and there, but the three categories they're going to look at is a crop with a greater than 5% decline in price from January 15th to April 15th. Not every crop qualifies in that category. The second category they're going to look at is farms with produce that was shipped, but then it spoiled due to loss of the marketing channel. Say potatoes are eligible for that, but we don't have a lot of producers that would have experienced that sort of loss. Uh, The third category is had shipments that didn't leave the farm or mature crops that were in the field and had to be left to rot because of the loss of the marketing channel. And again, because we're coming out of winter in, in the north, that's just not going to affect many people. So eligibility for this program, really very, very similar to what you have for other FSA. You have to be conservation compliant, so you have to have your AD1026 form on file. You can't have a controlled substance violation. If you are a foreign person, you have to have contributed substantial land, labor, or capital. And then they do have an AGI test of less than $900,000 of income for tax years 2016, 17, and 18 averaged. If more than 75% of your income is from farming in those years, then this AGI test does not apply. You will have some additional paperwork, but the, the eligibility factor goes away. Payment caps, $250,000 per person per legal entity, and that's cumulative between all the categories you collect on. So if you have hogs and you have um, corn and soybeans, between all of those categories, you can't get more than $250,000 per person. However, there are some special rules for corporations, LLCs, and limited partnerships because typically at FSA, they would get one limit. For this program and this program only, if the farm falls under one of those categories, then each shareholder gets a limit as long as that shareholder contributed 400 hours or more of active management or labor. So if you have a corporation and it has two shareholders, the cap for that corporation is going to be 500,000. This only works up to three shareholders. So the max anyone is ever going to get under this program is 750,000. But just keep in mind, if you're a corporation, LLC, a partnership, there is some flex in the rules compared to what we see with everybody, with all the other programs. Sign up begins, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, on May 26, 2020. It will continue through August 28th of 2020. USDA has a calculator available on their website. So if you go to www.farmers.gov slash CFAP, there is a calculator there. If you fill out that calculator, the application will autofill, and from that point, you can either email it to FSA, you can print it off and sign it. You really need to call your county office and see how they want it sent to them at that time. Remember, the offices themselves are still operational, but you may have to call and make an appointment if you need to go in. 
I just want to take a minute and address those ineligible commodities that we talked about earlier. So specifically, USDA says sheep over two years are not eligible, eggs uh, layers are not eligible, soft red winter wheat, hard red winter wheat, rice, flax, rye, uh, feed barley, alfalfa, forage crops, hemp, all ineligible. USDA says they may reconsider these excluded commodities if someone can give them credible evidence that provides a 5% or greater price drop. Now they did open up comments on that rule, which is how a producer would have to submit that evidence. I don't know that any one producer sending anything in will make a big change in the rules. However, that's the channel that we have to go through at this point. And then after that, you may also want to um, start talking to your, to the association, to, to whoever's representing that commodity and does the lobbying, and then they'll have to take it from there. But there is a possibility that they could open up a window on some of those crops. Also, USDA is looking for additional information on nursery products, aquaculture, cut flowers. So if anybody is in those categories and uh, we didn't, really mention them because there is no category for them right now. Same channel. You have to go through the comment process and I would suggest, you know, getting your representatives involved in lobbying for that. So again, uh, we just kind of wanted to put together a podcast and summarize these rules. Uh, there are areas of the program that we, we probably didn't touch on and there's a lot of ins and outs. So if anyone has any specific questions, please talk to your loan officer, your insurance specialist, and we'll see what we can find out. There is a PowerPoint with all this information also at www.agcountry.com.